invite you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 26. Uh, portions of that chapter were read for us earlier. We'll be walking through uh, a large chunk of that chapter. This is the third week in Advent, as is our pattern during Advent. We turn to the prophets, because nothing says Merry Christmas like doom, gloom, wrath, and lamentation. That's Jeremiah in a nutshell. No, we do turn this way because the primary message is prepare the way for the Lord. His advent is upon us. Prepare the way. Today we're going to look at Jeremiah's word to his people uh, concerning the temple. Why the temple? Well, because central to the life of God's people is the life of the temple. Same thing for us who follow Christ. Central to our life is life in the temple. Jesus has a lot to say about the temple. He said, it is written, this is Jesus quoting, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Anybody want to guess who he's, he's quoting there? Jeremiah, okay, good. Uh, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone of the temple upon another that will not be thrown down. And he also says this, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. See, centuries before Jesus is saying those things about the temple, Jeremiah comes speaking the same warnings to God's people, the same criticisms for how they fail to live according to his word. And as with Jesus, Jeremiah's people refused to listen. The temple was God's house, but when God's people desecrate God's house, God must tear it down in order to build it up again. And that is his promise of death and resurrection. And Jeremiah comes preaching, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Will you join me with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word, and we turn our hearts and minds to you now as we hear your word. Uh, open our eyes and ears to hear that which you have for us, and our hearts to receive your word, that we might be conformed into the image of your dear son, the fulfillment of the temple, who has made us his body, a living temple that all the world might have access to you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The doom of Judah is certain, that southern kingdom of God's people. Uh, the doom is speeding its way through the land and its people as we enter Jeremiah 26. As we enter Jeremiah 26, we enter the early reign of Judah's king, Jehoiakim. Now, were we to read a little bit earlier in chapter 25, we would see that God promises 70 years exile with the Chaldeans or Babylonians, and he has a cup of wrath for his people, and they must drink it. They will drink it. God also compares himself to a lion who is leaving his lair on a hunt. God is bringing swift judgment, chapter 26, verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. We enter now into the reign of King Jehoiakim. About a century before Jeremiah speaks here, the northern kingdom of Israel was defeated and then exiled by God's command to Assyria. Judah, the southern kingdom, has enjoyed recently a righteous rule of one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, King Josiah a reformer of people and of place, a cleanser of temple and of land. He died fighting Egypt. 
And the king who followed was his son, but he only reigned for three months before Egypt then took him down to Egypt and killed him. Enter Josiah's next son, who is Jehoiakim. He's a wicked king, walking in the sins of Israel, walking in the, king, the steps of King Jeroboam I, of, of the wicked king of Judah, Manasseh. And he doesn't waste any time in rebelling against his God. Chapter 26, verse 2 and 3 read this way. This is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court to Jeremiah, stand in the court of the Lord's house. Speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. Why is God telling Jeremiah to go to the court of his house, to the court of his temple? Well, to cleanse corruption, any good physician must get to the root of the sickness, right? And so God, as a good physician, goes to the, the hub, the center, the core of Israel's life, of his people. Central to the life and rhythm of God's people is the worship at God's house. Also central to the blessings that were intended to flow from temple to God's people to the nations is his temple, right? His holy word to guide our steps, sacrificial fire to atone for our sin, cleansing water to grant access to the living God. These are the images that Jesus takes upon himself in his great I am. He's the living water. He's the, to cleanse. He's the way, the truth, and the life to, to lead. He's the very word of God to transform. Jeremiah here stands in the court of God's house where priests and people, prophets, they're all gathered in some anticipation of, of a feast with the living God. Perhaps this is a Passover feast or some other kind of feast where it's drawing in people from all over the country, high and low, holy and profane, and God commands Jeremiah to enter that holy place in the temple court and to speak, he says, do not hold back a word, verse 4 and following. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. And for some reason, the people of Israel or Judah did not like that message. God says, in short, if you, my people, continue to refuse to listen and obey my word, then I will desolate this house, my house, says God, this city, this land. I will make it as Shiloh. And the right question to ask now is, what happened at Shiloh? Well, back in 1 Samuel, Shiloh was the, the, at that time the, the Jerusalem of the day. The tabernacle was housed in Shiloh, central hub for worship of God's people. Access to God is granted in God's tabernacle house. The tabernacle dwelt there, but there was priest Eli, his wicked and corrupt sons. They failed to heed God's word and to lead God's people well. They treated God's people and his tabernacle with its ark and, and covenant as a kind of talisman. You know, do our bidding, and they take the ark of the covenant to their war. And of course, the covenant, the ark of the covenant, 
is taken into captivity. The tabernacle was devoid of righteousness in that day. It was desolate holiness. The love of God and of neighbor was absent. So when the people send the ark into battle and it's captured, that is what God is saying to the people. He's saying this, I'm going to take myself out of your presence. I'm removing myself. I'm desolating my house. I am exiling myself from your midst. That's what it means to, for God to desolate his house, that he is forsaking his people in that place. Shiloh itself was soon ransacked, and the tabernacle was never raised in that place again. Jehoiakim, Jeremiah is saying, priests and false prophets, unless you turn from your wicked ways, you will become the new Shiloh. God's house will become a desolation. The people in the place of God were to be a blessing to the nations, but instead of a blessing, they're, they're becoming a curse. See, the imagery that Jesus uses when he says, I am the living water, he gets that because there was supposed to be water from the temple that would flow to Israel and out to the nations as a cleansing, a healing of the nations. But what flows out of the temple now in Jehoiakim's day is corruption, as if raw sewage is infecting the nations. The holy God who cannot inhabit defilement now threatens abandonment of people and of place desolation of his house. If you refuse to listen, I will make this house like Shiloh. Now, is this a just punishment? Is, are these actions of God, are they just? Well, absolutely. Look at the lives of the people. For generations, God's people have been emptying God's house of honor and of glory. They've been replacing his God-ordained imagery and furniture with profanity. They've been using temple grounds to satisfy sexual lust and greed. They lived as if God were not there, as if his house were desolate. So God promises to give them exactly what they want. The Apostle Paul echoes this in his letter to the, the Romans. Chapter 1, he says things like this, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things, they deserve to die. They do not do them, but give approval to those who practice them. He's saying, in short, God has let them go their own way. Judah, Jerusalem, their kings, their priests, their false prophets have been living as if God's house is desolate. And so he gives them exactly what they want. So Jeremiah prophesies and promises them, if you refuse to repent, you will become like Shiloh. But rather than humbling themselves and seeking forgiveness, the rulers seek to shoot the messenger. Verse 10. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against the city, as you have heard with your own ears. Now, is this judgment just? Death for proclaiming God's wrath upon temple and city? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Deuteronomy 13 says to a prophet, 
who teaches rebellion against Yahweh, who teaches a departing from God's way. That prophet deserves death. Deuteronomy 13 says that. And politically, I mean, if you're, if you're proclaiming things against the city and the temple, that, that's treasonous, right? So most countries would say that's punishable by death. What we see here is there is the death penalty fought for, sought after. But, but and the thing is, like, Jeremiah doesn't defend himself. He doesn't gather up a large army of lawyers, but rather he reminds the people of his source of information. Verse 12, Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. See, the temple is no talisman or good luck charm. Earlier, Jeremiah says, don't refer to it. Don't say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Don't find refuge in the temple while you neglect the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. While you deny access to God's presence from outsiders. While you adulterate worship of God before false gods, while you slay God's prophets, oh, your forms of religion, they mimic holiness, while your temple rots in corruption and all the people have gone astray. Oh, you can charge me with the death sentence, says Jeremiah, but he refuses to protect himself like a lamb. Led to the slaughter, so Jeremiah remains silent before his accusers, saying this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put... Uh, oops, sorry, that's a little bit further. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon the city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak to all these words in your Years, the shedding of innocent blood. And apparently Jeremiah still has some friends after Josiah's reign. It's not been that long since King Josiah has died. Josiah's waning influence of righteousness provides a way of salvation for Jeremiah in these moments. As they come to his defense and they say we should not kill this man. But we were to read a little bit later, we would hear of another prophet. A prophet by the name of Uriah. And he's saying the same things that Jeremiah is saying. And his life, too, was threatened. And he flees to Egypt. But King Jehoiakim sends guys down to go get him, takes him back, and kills Uriah. We've got Jeremiah in this chapter being preserved, being saved. But another prophet comes after him who was killed for that same message. Jeremiah's prophecy will come true. We're assured of it because at the end of this chapter, we see Judah's rulers, priests, and people refusing to amend their ways. They seek to silence God's word, to kill his prophet. And Jeremiah reiterates the point. Know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon the city and its inhabitants. Remember when Jesus is before the trial there at the end? And after they say, crucify him, crucify him. Let his what? Let his blood be upon our heads. Jeremiah is saying, you will have innocent blood on your heads. Jeremiah's friends here remind the officials and priests and people 
of another prophet named Micah who also prophesied doom during Hezekiah's day. Death threats were given him, but the righteous king Hezekiah responded in humility and repentance. The prophet was honored. The way of righteousness pursued. God's mercy overwhelmed. And Jeremiah's friends exhort the priests and the people and rulers of the day. They say, we should not put him to death. Righteousness ruled in the heart of King Josiah. He, the heart of God's people, led in holy humility, seeking to cleanse the heart of the place God's house. But when Jehoiakim takes charge of the kingdom, his heart beats to desolate rhythms of idolatry. The priesthood has ingested corruption which festers in the temple and throughout the people. A king, people, and place align desolate refusing to hear God's word, and doom lies upon Judah. Jeremiah's message from God is very clear. If you will not listen to God, if you will not walk in his law that he sets before you and listen to the words of his servant, the prophets, God will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Back in chapter 7, he says, amend your ways. It's the same message in chapter 7 as through most chapters in Jeremiah. He says, goes on in chapter 7, I will let you dwell in this place if you amend your ways and your deeds. Do not trust these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Why should they not call on the temple of the Lord in that day? Because it was desolate holiness. The abomination of the temple was described in chapter 7 as this. You have a people and leaders who are executing injustice, who oppress the sojourner, orphan, and widow. You all shed innocent blood. The temple intended to be a house of prayer has now become a den of robbers. And during Jehoiakim's reign, the doom of Jerusalem, it began. See, Nebuchadnezzar and king of Babylon, they invaded the area, right? And in that, they invaded Jerusalem, and they started to empty the temple of all of its gold and silver. They also exiled the gold and silver of the people, the aristocracy, the wise and the young, like Daniel and his friends. Years later, there was another exile, and Ezekiel was taken. Then another, and finally, in 586 B.C., Jerusalem is sieged, besieged by Babylon. The temple is desecrated. The place is plundered. And Jerusalem is, in fact, made anew, Shiloh just as Jeremiah prophesied. Now we turn our attention to Jesus, and we see throughout his ministry that he has the same warnings. What Jeremiah was warning in his day, Jesus is warning in his day as he walks the earth. That things are going to happen to that generation. God's wrath is going to be poured out upon them. Leaders in his day looked to the temple only as talisman as well, giving lip service to God while hearts remain far from him and corrupt. As the temple system itself continued to spread, not holiness, but infection. And so from his teenage years, Jesus would teach in the court of the temple, in the heart of God's people, the temple grounds. Throughout his ministry in his later days, too, he would cleanse the temple. And in that cleansing, he was enacting the fact that this temple that he is cleansing would soon be destroyed. He's decrying also in the words of Jeremiah that God's house for prayer for the nations has become a den of robbers. We preach Jeremiah now because Jesus comes as a new Jeremiah. 
Even when people, when he asks, who do people say that I am? They say, maybe one of the prophets. And somebody says, Jeremiah. They, they pick up on his words of exhortation. We visit these stories in Advent because as God's people, we are to prepare the way of the Lord. Christ has come in his first Advent and he will come again to judge the living and the dead and he comes through his spirit. So we are called to examine our lives to see what corruption infects our hearts, how it is that we neglect those we are called to love and to serve. For us, the story of the temple's destruction, even the exile of God's people, it may bear little weight in our day-to-day existence, right? We don't think often of these situations. Even in our society, in our community, we have a lot of houses of worship today. And if one of these houses is a, is a bit to our disliking, we can try another house. And for many of us who have walked with Jesus, leaders of God's house do tend to foster spiritual abuse. They tend to misuse God's word and misuse God's people. The house seems to lie desolate of holiness. And many feel we need no temple at all, that we can approach God as we see fit or believe that organized religion is simply a big farce. But this is not the story of the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about the temple as God's house, from the garden as temple, from Mount Sinai to temple, to tabernacle, to the temple built in Jerusalem. The temple is the place where heaven converges with earth, where God meets to dwell with his people. His presence lingers in the presence of his beloved people. Jeremiah's warning in chapter 26 tells us that, that we cannot ascend God's presence on our own, especially if we try to treat his house or his temple as something that we can control, the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Those sacrifice invited feasting in God's presence and his peace. Abuse upon abuse throughout generations continue to lead to a desolation of God's house. Until God himself takes on flesh to tabernacle amongst his people. Like Jeremiah, Jesus was threatened by those he came to save. He even says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. And those words became the accusation leveled against him, which led him to the cross. Though Jeremiah remained free, the words of Jesus against the temple caused his death or led to his death. But in his death, of course, is the fulfillment. It's the final form of Jeremiah's warning at Shiloh tabernacle was dismantled. In Jerusalem, as Babylon conquered the land, the temple was desecrated. The house was left empty. But in Jesus, the true and final temple, he himself was destroyed. He himself lie dead in the tomb. The word silenced God's prophets buried. But remember also this. At the day of crucifixion, Remember upon his death, the earth quaked. And then what? The temple curtain was torn in two, signifying that the temple was no more. That system is put asunder. 
the cleansing of, of the temple that Jesus enacted earlier has come to pass that Good Friday. For in his death, the temple and sacrificial system were fulfilled. Something better is come. For in Christ, no building could any longer suffice. He and he alone is the place in which heaven and earth fully converge. Christ and Christ alone becomes the only place in which we have access to the living God. He, our temple, was destroyed, not for the sins of some wayward people a long time ago, but for our very sins. He died on our behalf. And he, our temple, was raised from the dead, never again to be tainted nor destroyed. He, our temp temple, opens wide the gates for all to enter in, access granted through faith in Christ, repentance, a life of humble obedience. And he anoints us as living stones to then be that living temple to the world through whom all people have access in Jesus Christ. Today, in this story, we weep with the prophet Jeremiah because God's holy temple was desecrated by our sin. He was destroyed in our place. But today we also rejoice because the temple now is holy forever and ever. Our living temple died in our stead that we might share in his life, in his resurrection. In Christ, we now dwell with God until he returns with a new heavens and a new earth. And in that, there will be no need for sun, star, nor moon. No need for stone-built temple. For he, Jesus Christ, is our light, our salvation, our happy dwelling with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. And we do pray in these prophets of old such bad news time and again. We pray that you would lift up our hearts to receive that bad news, but turn our gaze continually to Jesus, who is our light, our salvation, who is the living temple, who invites us to come to him and find rest, to come to him, find life, joy, and peace. So we thank you, God, that you've given us your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his name.